Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Chris, with that in mind, I wonder if um, you had a chance to watch the Michael Jordan uh, documentary, The Last Dance, first of all. I didn't. Okay. Well, then, then I'll just pass on that question. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. Now, I want to know what the follow-up would have been. I want to know what the follow-up would have been if, if Chris Bryan had seen The Last Dance, like the rest of us all hunkered down on Sunday nights. And what the hell is he doing not watching The Last Dance? Hanging out with his pregnant wife and his kid. The nerve on that guy. Good morning, everybody. It is hit and run on 670 The Score. It's baseball season. We're less than two weeks out. Opening day is going to happen. That sense of inevitability that that baseball is coming is really here for the first time on a Sunday morning since March. It's crazy, but that's the way it feels today. And it's been, it's been exciting to just kind of relax and, and talk a little baseball and nobody better to do that with than my partner, usually on Saturdays, Bruce Levine of inside the clubhouse, the scores baseball insider working with Zach Zabin these days, enjoyed Steve stone and Aaron bummer yesterday with you guys. Good morning, Bruce. How are you? Good morning, Matt. Yeah, it was um, uh, it's it's fun uh, every Saturday, but we miss you. I mean, that's you know you're part of that show. I know you're uh, busy doing other things right now, so uh, it will uh, will will hold down the fort till you get back. But nonetheless, um, yeah, my follow up question to Chris Bryant would have been, and I didn't know his wife was pregnant. You you just broke some news on me that he has a. <laughs> His pregnant wife and his young child. Oh, all right. You know, well, maybe more. she's not. <laughs> she, I don't think, she, I don't think really, she's, she's not doubling I mean, up. That's, yeah. that, that's good reporting. You know, that's really good reporting. <laughs> but uh, honestly, um, the follow-up question would have been, uh, with your group of Baez, yourself, um, Anthony Rizzo, and yeah. uh, Schwarber, does this feel like the last dance for the Chicago Cubs? And mm-hmm. a lot of people are alluding to that right now with the idea that all of these guys will be or could be free agents after the 2021 season. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's the right line of, of thinking for this position player core group, uh, Bruce. And you can add in John Lester to that and probably Kyle Hendricks to that in terms of how they all feel being together and, uh, and and having been together for so long, it absolutely has that feel. And there's a bit of a push against outside forces, not, not as obvious and as starkly as it was 
for um, the Bulls pushing against Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf. But it's a push against people who say they've underachieved. Um, the seeming fatalism of having to break them up because of financial reasons and the possibility that their own front office, who has been very supportive of them on the baseball side, might break them up. That push against the outside force can be a very healthy thing that we've seen managers deftly use before, haven't we? Yeah, I I think that's right, Matt. And, uh, you know, comparing the Cubs to the Bulls, uh, in many people's minds, is going to be a stretch considering they won six and three in a row twice but uh, the reality of the Cubs actually winning a World Series with this group after 108 years and the sustained success up until last year of playoff baseball for four consecutive seasons uh, that is in baseball terms you know very close to you know being uh, a dynasty for the Chicago Cubs considering you know they hadn't had anything like that for for over a hundred years. So from, from the perspective of this group, uh, seeing its last, you know, time together as a championship club, I, th- I think that's very real. Uh, we don't see uh, the minor league system quite yet, and they do have some fine young players coming up, but we don't see quite yet the next versions of these players coming around. Uh, it's hard to imagine uh, a lot of uh, players of this particular set of players um, right now that you're watching with the Cubs being the equal to their talent level. Uh, Meshing together as a championship club, that's that's another story, and that's what presidents of baseball operations and general managers think about is, yeah, we got this great group of talented guys, but our our goal is to win. You know, how do we we accomplish that without uh, uh, a lot of minor league help right now, and how do we... uh, how do we deal with this payroll, with which is the uh, second or third highest in uh, in baseball? I want to talk a lot about the White Sox with you, Bruce, but let's stay north while we are. Um, and we're kind of back to being reminded of what David Ross's role was supposed to be in helping to make sure there is no complacency, helping to kind of uh, light a bit of a fire under these guys in a positive way. And uh, what are what are some things we've already seen him do that that you can tell are are unique to him and him trying to, you know, get his guys ready and keep everybody in the good headspace. Give our listeners a couple things you've already seen him do. Well, he talked about it a little over the last couple of days. Uh, when Schwarber hits a home run, he's cheering, you know, that away, you know, way to go, giving him a virtual high five. And at the same time, being supportive of that pitcher on the mound that just gave up a home run. If you can imagine an intra-squad game and a, and a manager getting excited about results, and then trying to uh, be positive with the uh, the pitcher that just gave up the home run, or the pitcher that struck out a guy, and he's uh, and he he's uh, giving him the uh, you know the positive signs, and while the the batter walks away you know disgruntled, that's pretty difficult. But he's been able to accomplish this. Talk to uh, us in the media about it. Talk to his players about um, that he is going to express joy and give positive um, feedback even though it's at the expense of his own players uh, during these odd intra-squad games that occur almost on a daily basis during these camps right now. So, uh, you know, again, the communications of uh, skills of David Ross are unbelievable and the sellability of uh, what he believes in and uh, just his energy level is enough to make these players uh, feel pretty good about the process, even though it's odd. 
Are, are they setting up to have a five-man with Chatwood and Mills on, on the back end of that five-man? Is that the way it looks right now? Not necessarily. Um, you know, Ross, two days ago, said we're still thinking out the fifth starter slot. So it could be Chatwood as a four, and then maybe something to the effect of Mills because he's so good in both roles. And again, this is just me. I asked Ross about this particular thing that I'm talking about right now, about um, Mills being uh, used in uh, more than one game a week and not as a starter, but as a, uh, as a, you know, a piggyback guy because he's so good at it initially uh, to begin the season. Um, and uh, Ross pushed back saying, well, you know, Bruce, when we want your input on this, you know, I'll be sure to ask you. Uh, so, from the perspective of the fifth starter, he had mentioned that they're still investigating what they want to do with that, but he did not elaborate. Okay, so Jarrell Cotton, Colin Ray continued yes. mm-hmm. to be in the mix with those guys. Yeah, they, they've gotten stretched out. Um, Cotton, uh, you know, yesterday or um, the day before, rather, got stretched out to about three innings. So that th- those are possibilities. So Mills might be viewed at, hey, rubber arm, yep. uh, professional pitcher, the first uh, two weeks of the season, Matt, maybe they're, they're saying, hey, we're going to need more innings from, from other guys who are good to, to bridge the games because we're only going to get four and maybe five, uh, if we're lucky, out of the starting pitcher, maybe less at times. Have you – are a lot of people around baseball using the term rover for starters used in high-leverage relief situations on their off days? I've not really heard that used a lot, but I saw it used the other day in a baseball article, and I, and, and I, I, I kind of liked it. I mean, it's what we see in the postseason, right? What Nate Evaldi did for Boston, what Jack McKeon did so many years ago against the Cubs in 2003. I kind of like rover as the terminology, Bruce. Well, you know, it's it's kind of that the desperation mode that occurs when um, you go, go into the playoffs for a lot of teams where mm-hmm. the, the predictability of how a, how a manager is going to use his pitching staff because you don't use all the starters uh, in playoffs and uh, they, they have the luxury of using starters in middle roles. I think that's kind of the viewpoint of a lot of um, teams and managers going into this, that uh, this this is going to be the new normal we're not looking at pitchers that are going to throw seven innings right now. We're, we're looking at valuable three and four inning outings and then bridging the game with these middle guys or rovers, as you put it, uh, to mm. to get to your closer in the end. So <clears throat> we've seen the uh, evolution of uh, relief pitching, and now I think we're going to see a different level of it this year with more teams maybe using openers and openers by not just one inning but maybe two uh from bullpen guys because ross has talked about stretching out some of his bullpen guys to to be ready to go three innings at a pop so uh expect the unexpected when it comes to managers and pitching staffs at least for the first two or four weeks of this truncated season. Well, as we flip sides of town, I, I, I think of Michael Kopech, and I don't know what Rick Renteria's plan was going to be for Kopech. I know how much guys like you and me tossed it around, Bruce, about the possibilities and being creative, and maybe he could have been thought of as a rover or a reliever. And I don't know if that jibes very well with the timeline, rehab, and master plan for a guy 
going into his first year off of Tommy John surgery. Um, it, is that the primary reason for the opt out from what from what you've been able to glean, Bruce? We don't know. We just don't know. Um, you know, Michael has had some um, issues over his life, like we all do, of uh, getting ready and uh, you know being a young performer at age 24 and going through some things in his life. So anything we talk about as to why he's not performing and chose not to would be pure speculation until he decides to talk about it. Um, you know, um, I think that, um, you know, Don Cooper uh, talked to uh, the Sun-Times today, uh, Daryl Benchon, about uh, the idea that, you know, Michael had dealt with uh with anxiety and depression before, and he's not saying that this was the case right now. But, uh, you know, the magnitude of the 60-game season and having sat out for almost two years now, Matt, I mean, September will be two years since he pitched in a big league game and only one inning that he threw on March 10th in competition since that point. Uh, there, there might be that anxiety level that he has to deal with of uh, shortened season and expectations, but we just won't know until uh, Michael decides to talk about it. Nonetheless, as you were saying, um, 100 miles an hour consistently fits in to any manager's plans at any part of uh, you know the the daily planning for a uh, pitching staff. So I think uh, they had great expectations for him even though he was supposed to start the year at uh, AAA for a short period of time just to, to get his feet under him and uh, be able to um, uh, build up some innings. I think it appears, you know, that threw him off a little bit because that was the plan all along. He was going to start the season at AAA. Hmm. Well, there ain't no AAA, so, so, so no. here you are with, with, with the opportunity. Um, well, it, it's interesting. It will be... About 900-some days uh, by the time we get to opening day 2021. Um, later on, Chris Kampka, who, who joins me to tie the room together, Bruce, is going to have a list of pitchers who've gone more than 900 days between major league appearances. He tells me it's an interesting list. I don't, I, I don't know who's on it, but that, that's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask of, a, of, of an arm and of a, of a mindset for a big league player, isn't it? Chris Campa is spectacular, and his <laughs> research and his information is uh, a must on Twitter. He is just awesome, and uh, I, I look forward every week to when uh, you usually have him on. Yeah, uh, so, so yesterday we saw <clears throat> Luis Robert join a group. I mean, just in recent memory, Adrian Beltre used to fall to his knee uh, when homering. Remember Rizzo did it one time and then fell all the mm -hmm. way to the ground from his knee. I remember Trevor Story did it one time. I'm trying to think back further than that, but those are the recent ones that pop up for me. Uh, Luis Robert falling to the ground as he homered. It, it just kind of fits because there's going to be a lot of, oh, my God, did you hear about this when it comes to Luis Robert? And this is just a weird one to add to the list. He's, he's going to be an awful lot of fun right away, isn't he? Oh, he practices this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, he, he, uh, he, he was not as amazed as everybody else was that he was able to do it. He said that, uh, you know, sometimes the unexpected certainly is going to happen when he plays because uh, he feels he uh, has, a, you know, great ability. But he, he, wasn't being, uh, he wasn't being cocky about it. He, he's just, as Joe McEwing said, who's pinch hitting – uh, over this weekend for um, Ricky Renneria, who's away for a, a family funeral. 
Uh, he said that there's a, a tremendous confidence in this guy. When 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 McEwing asks him a question about something, he has a quick answer. Uh, he knows what he's doing out there. He knows what he's thinking. He knows what he has to change. Uh, he's an impressive young man, and uh, there are very few people around him and in the White Sox organization that don't expect great things from this guy going forward. I mean, it's always difficult to expect uh, greatness from a player, but everything uh, from his resume from the time he signed through his minor league career up till now, you know, resonates that this is going to be a great player. You just, when you have him in your own town and you've seen so many people get to this level and not be able to accomplish it, you always hesitate. But I don't think there should be much hesitation for Luis Robert. No, I, I don't think so. Now, you and I have talked about him, where he ought to hit in the lineup. And hitting second lately, is that is it just because Moncada's not here? Or do you think they might consider having Robert up, up in the mix at the top there? No, I don't, I don't think he'll be. I, I think uh, there'll be a safety zone form uh, down in the lineup. It's, it's such a good lineup, if you think about it anyway. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's is. hitters galore in the White Sox lineup. That's... That's the beauty of both the Cubs and White Sox, with both having DHs and nine hitters now to watch. Uh, these these could both be very special offensive teams this year, and the White Sox, you know, are, are kind of loaded up. So I think six or seven would be, you know, the the spot that Robert starts at. But uh, I don't know if he's going to stay there. I, I think if he if he hits and he accomplishes, not swinging and missing at uh, breaking balls out of the zone or down in the zone. Um, initially, I, I, you know, the the connection, the connectability and the power is so prevalent in everything he hits. Uh, simple fly balls uh, carried to the warning track. Uh, line drives uh, go deep into the, the alleys quickly. Uh, this is a, a special player, and it's going to be fun to watch him. So, so Bruce, uh, Nick Madrigal and Andrew Vaughn, young guys on different timelines, you would think, but this year is so weird. Um, your thoughts on their, their availability their, and their usage? Madrigal um, going to break camp with the team is a question. I don't know. Will Andrew Vaughn even get an at-bat in the major leagues this year is another question. Yeah, I mean, that's, those are great questions. I don't have the exact answers for it other than uh, their participants right now. And uh, Vaughn, as you see, uh, they've moved around to third base a little bit because of the athleticism that he shows, the the good feet and the good arm that they feel uh, could uh make him a more versatile player. They're not looking to replace, uh, you know, Mancata there, but, you know, the options of having him play multiple positions is intriguing because of uh, he's better than just a quote-unquote first baseman because he's a good hitter. We we have no other position. We'll put him at first. They think he's much better than that. Madrigal, you know, I don't know if he'll start the season or he'll start the season on the uh, taxi squad. Um, you know, they, they still felt... There was some things that he had to accomplish uh, at AAA for a short period of time. They expected him to be a part of the 2020 team. I don't know if it's opening day at this point. We'll know a little bit more as we see these games ramp up and they start competing against teams that last week before the season starts and whether or not he's in that lineup. But there are some intriguing Mm storylines for the White Sox right now. Yeah, last thing for you, Bruce, on those pitchers. Uh, Carlos Radon able to uh, throw some uh, yesterday and building the stamina, building the innings, as I, as I saw you tweet, not really about whether Robert Homer's um, off of him. But with Lopez, Cease, 
Giolito, Gio Gonzalez, Rodon. Um, who else among the young pitchers looks like somebody who could break camp as a starter or swing guy in the Alec Mills, Colin Ray um, dimension that we talked about for the Cubs? Who might be those guys for the White Sox? Well, Jimmy Lambert was very impressive yesterday. He's another young pitcher who is coming back from Tommy, Tommy John, just like Dane Dunning is. Uh, both of them, uh, Dunning's going to throw today, so I'll be anxious to watch him in a uh, inter-squad game today. Uh, th- these are these are both guys that they feel can fortify their pitching staff, and they might be down in that 6, 7, and 8 level if they're needed uh, to come up because uh, they have high hopes. Dunning, uh, you know, the third guy in that trade uh, with Washington where they got the, you know, Lopez and Giolito uh, for Adam Eaton. So the, these are the two guys uh, White Sox fans should watch as they move on. But uh, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. You know, I, I think Rodon is uh, intriguing because uh, he got stretched out a little bit yesterday. They expect him to start in the bullpen, but what does that mean? That doesn't mean he won't throw three innings or four innings when he comes out there and get turned around by the, the second part of uh, this season or maybe earlier and, and come out and start and, and switch with somebody like Gonzalez who may start and then eventually may be a middle starter. Maybe we have new terms going forward, <laughs> like Rover, yep. Rover and, mid, and middle starter. Yeah, well, you know, apparently Rover goes back to Alex Cora and those 2018 Red Sox in terms of Ivaldi, and he used Sale that way, used Porcello that way. Not a new idea, but that's where the term traces to in recent baseball history, and i got to say, I like it. I like it. So, uh, uh, it, An option it, of very good arms is the way I would put it. And, all right. Uh, well, yeah, uh, you uh, go very used, good arms. Used, you go very good arms, I'll go Rover. In the back, yeah. Well, you know, if you like terms, you know, go with it. Rover, Rover, Rover is cute. Um, but Matt, thanks for having me on. I hope Ruben is doing great. We miss you on the show and give our best to him and to Christine, and the rest of the family. Uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, Bruce. With Bruce Levine of Six Seventy, the score. Uh, yeah, my son recovering from an appendectomy, and it's uh, it's been a bumpy ride, but could be a hell of a lot worse when there's been. Uh, Kids on his hospital floor dealing with much, much worse. It's not, it's not difficult to find the gratitude and, uh, and the grace to be thankful and enjoy your boy, as, uh, as I did last night um, in the hospital still, but hopefully out today. All right, 670, the score is where you are. Matt Spiegel is who you're with. It's hit and run. We'll talk minor league baseball and the crisis that they're in in a little bit. But when we come back, I took one last quarantine dip into the treasure trove of baseball's past. Without games, I took one last dip, I think, into baseball's past, and man, was it worth it. I'll talk about it next on Hit and Run. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The 2-2. A swing and a high pop-up. Short center field. Griffey coming on. Kadire's going to try the arm. He's tagging. Griffey has it. He's coming home. The throw to home. In there. Pazinski with the tag. He got him. He got him. What a play by Griffey in center. The tag is Kadire tried to run over Pazinski. The Twins are out here in the fifth on a double play. Fly out to center. Wow. Just gave me chills to hear Ed Farmer sounding that good. Because it's, it's been a little while since, um, been a few years actually since Farmer sounded that healthy and strong. Sounded sound good these past couple years, but obviously dealing with tremendous health issues and now having passed. Congratulations, by the way, to Andy Mazur. He's a good man. Andy Mazur gets to do White Sox play-by-play on the radio, um, and uh, good for him. Enjoy it, Andy. And uh, Darren Jackson is a great dude, and I hope you guys have fun together. That's Ed Farmer making the call as Ken Griffey Jr. throws out Michael Kadire in, um, in the blackout game in December, September 30th of 2008. Griffey, uh, a shell of himself at that point, but a White Sox player nonetheless and has a memorable moment. That did not come up. That play did not come up as I watched Junior, the MLB Network documentary about Ken Griffey Jr. that came out, I think, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I don't know. I've uh, had it on the DVR and finally dove into it over the past couple days. And what a terrific watch it is. And Griffey's on the brain um, after watching it, of course, and there's a couple corollaries. One is the excitement of an athlete of that level when they get to the big leagues and everybody knows they're legit. And you dream of that for Luis Robert. It has that feel. As I talked earlier to you about Luis Robert and the five tools and the special athleticism and, and, and all of that, there are certain guys I will always think of, and Griffey is one of them. Um, Yasiel Puig, when he showed up, is one of them. Bo Jackson, obviously, but that was really a special kind of freakish, unique situation. The greatest athlete of my lifetime. Eric Davis of the Cincinnati Reds. Just some of these beautiful athletes. Some of them don't work out in the way that you thought. You know, when they when they show up like that. But some of them are like, oh, my God, this guy can do everything. Raul Mondesi. The bodies of these guys. Steve Stone yesterday brought up Andre Dawson. It's fun to think about on that level. You ever you ever I mean, I wish I had been there the first time that Clemente showed up and could do absolutely everything and had the grace and the beauty. And the strength and the speed. But Griffey had all of that as he showed up in Seattle two years after being the number one pick, I think is when he broke camp with the team. Um, I recommend the doc highly if you're looking for something, looking for a baseball thing to dig into. It's still so insane that he played with his father, the only father-son combination in the history of the game. I can't get enough footage of that stuff. No one has ever lived that particular fantasy except those two guys. Nobody. You know that LeBron James wants to live that with his son. And LeBron James is smartly in the, uh, the documentary 
And you hear from LeBron on a few different things about playing with his son and the dreams of doing that like Ken Griffey Sr. did, about coming home like Griffey did to Cincinnati in the middle of his career, as LeBron did to Cleveland in the middle of his career. And just in terms of the coolness, the swag, the style, Griffey had his own shoe, a baseball guy with his own shoe? So LeBron and others speaking to that. Being the phenom, being the number one overall pick and all the pressure on you, as LeBron was. So the corollaries were were there, that's for sure. So, I mean, all that stuff is great. And, you know, reliving the back-to-back homers that Griffey and father had together is great. There's, There's a lot on the Yankees series in 1995, that incredible Yankees-Mariners series. And there's a reason I'm bringing this up and delving into it for you right now. Okay, there's a current reason because there's a story in there I had never heard. Griffey hated the Yankees, Griffey Jr. And I remember during that series, it got talked about a lot. And there's some footage of that of fans asking for autographs at Yankee Stadium and say, Griffey, come to New York, come to New York. And he says, never, never. And he says, if the Yankees were the only team on the planet, they signed me to a contract, I'd retire. There's some logical problem with that statement. But anyway, that's the point. He hated the Yankees. And in this doc for the first time, and maybe I missed it in previous years, but I heard the story for the first time. When Ken Griffey Sr. at age 38 was a member of the Yankees, he was sitting one day in the dugout at Yankee Stadium. And Griffey Jr., his son, is there with him. And a Yankees official came over to Ken Griffey Sr. and said, hey, no kids in the dugout right now. No kids in the dugout. And Griffey looked at him and said, this is, this is my son. This is my son. Everywhere Griffey had ever gone and everywhere most ballplayers go, their sons are welcome before games, during BP or fielding practice or that kind of thing, hanging around. Said, this is my son. The official went back, talked to a couple people, came back and said, no, Mr. Steinbrenner says that he can't come into the locker room. Uh, He can hang out here for a couple minutes, but then he's got to go. And Griffey Sr. is upset about it. Griffey Jr., as a kid, is saying, it's all right, Dad. No worries. But don't, it doesn't matter. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. And Griffey Sr. says, okay, we'll go. But I want you to see one thing. And he points towards third base. And Griffey Sr. looks over. There's a kid taking ground balls. And Griffey Sr. says, that's Greg Nettles' son. I'm tired of fighting for this crap. Greg Nettles, Yankees third baseman, white man, for whatever reason, And it seems pretty obvious. Griffey Sr. told that his kid can't be around. Greg Nettles' kid was allowed to just hang out, take ground balls, be there as much as he wanted to. Ken Griffey Jr. never gave voice to that during his career, but that's why he hated the Yankees. And that makes what happened in that series even better. Griffey homers twice in the first game, once in the second game, five times overall. And scores the winning run from first on Edgar Martinez's double down the line in the Kingdome. With Griffey sliding into home and then being covered in a dog pile with his big smiling face sticking out of the bottom of the dog pile in a very, very memorable moment in baseball playoff history. And there's the backstory. I'd hate the Yankees too. In fact, I do hate the Yankees. And now a little more after that story. So thank you. Anyway, watch Junior. Really, really good stuff if you want to. And feel free, Sox fans, to dream of Luis Robert being as good, as multi-tooled, as multifaceted, as exciting, 
as Griffey Jr. was for the Mariners. It's hit and run on 670 The Score. We'll check in on the Cubs with Russell Dorsey of uh, the Sun-Times at the top of the hour. But when we come back, Jack McMullen was slated to be the play-by-play broadcaster for Fort Wayne and will not be because there is no season. And I don't know if people realize just how much trouble the minor leagues are in. We'll talk about it next on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. It's been grand fun, and and your nephew, Jack uh, McMullen, uh, who's a recent graduate of Syracuse, has done a wonderful job editing. Now, like, so we've got got the two boxes of us, and then there's a third box which has pictures that Jack puts in or standings or whatever it might be. Yeah. Now the box has a mind of its own and is making fun of you for looking the wrong direction at that my was the box. Best. That was the best. That was the best. Fort Wayne Tin Caps broadcaster Jack McMullen with Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run. Welcome back in to 670 The Score. That's Jason Benetti, the White Sox broadcaster, talking about our collaboration, which, uh, which Jack has helped with tremendously. Uh, good comp, bad comp. Um, you can find all of those at mattspiegel.com and uh, on the YouTube page, good comp, bad comp. We took a break this week uh, because of appendix. Um, canceled, colon, appendix. Right. It's um, it's, it's like DNP coach's decision. Good comp canceled appendix. We welcome in Jack McMullen on the Alpamani Ford hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. Jack, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. I feel like I wear a couple of hats for this show. I'm the I'm the picture box for good comp, bad comp. And I'm like your bad news minor league baseball correspondent. <laughs> That, that is pretty much uh, your double-barreled gig. You were slated um, out of Syracuse University as a young broadcaster to begin your, your minor league post-collegiate career as a broadcaster for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, um, a single-A team in Indiana. That is a healthy franchise, uh, a well-respected, well-regarded franchise, but like every other minor league team, their season was canceled. What was that experience like um, for you and for everybody within that organization, as best you can tell us. It was interesting, man. So I was, um, and I know we've talked about this before, I was in Greensboro, North Carolina for the ACC men's basketball tournament. It gets canceled. A couple days later, I find myself in Fort Wayne for my you know, first day in the office, a month out of when the season's supposed to start. And my first day in the office was my only day in the office because that was the last day. Uh, before Indiana kind of went to um, their stay-in-place order. So um, since then, it was just a lot of Zoom calls. It was a lot of broadcasts of MLB The Show on Facebook Live, um, a lot of food service uh, with with some carryout meals and, and just kind of waiting until the decision on the cancellation of the season was made legitimate, was made official. Uh, and then after that, you know, they they had to let us go. They had to let, you know, the part-time employees go. But they did a great job, and they, they were on top of, you know, the PPP loans and everything that small businesses are getting. Um, and, and they kept me on for, for a couple months longer than I was anticipating being kept on. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where you leave on good terms, and it's a, it's a good organization, and I'm hoping that 2021 has, has something in store for us. Well, you know, it's distressing times for a lot – of minor league ball clubs. I think Fort Wayne is a healthy franchise, and, and I, I believe that they will be able to weather the storm and survive. But there are 40 teams that are getting contracted, 
just they will cease to exist next year. And with that, it comes kind of a, a reorganization and sort of all these teams figuring out exactly what's going to happen. I know that a lot of teams are seriously concerned that the lost revenue from this year is going to impact their ability to operate next year or in future years. 24 teams responding to a poll for Sports Illustrated, that's 35% of the respondents, said they were seriously concerned about that loss of revenue. What, what does this mean, losing an entire year of revenue for a, a standard single-A team or double-A team that is used to using that revenue to sustain? Well, you say a year of lost revenue, like it's 12 months, but it's 19 months between games, pretty much. So that's what you're looking at. You're looking at 19 months of lost revenue. And if you say that for a family-owned restaurant, 19 months without revenue, you're, you're screwed. So that's kind of where minor league baseball is right now. So they got to capitalize on a ton of you know, government funding and whatever they can do and the number's crazy. I mean, a lot of people, if you are being proactive and you're making these, you know, carry out ballpark food orders, uh, you know, you might only be losing 95% of your revenue compared to 100%. So it's just a totally different animal. Uh, and the, the way that minor league teams make money is by welcoming people into the ballpark and selling them their hot dogs and their summer shandies. And if you can't do that for 19 months, then uh, you're not going to be in the best financial spot. It's become really clear that certain sectors of the economy, be it the live music industry that I know very well, um, rock and roll venues in a lot of trouble and will be for a long time, theater and, and those places, and live events, especially you know smaller scale live events, um, are really going to be challenged. And this is, and it's long term, a lot of them are just going to go away, aren't they? And this is not just... You know, little mom and pop, adorable single A or double A teams like there are triple A teams that are going to be in serious trouble, especially because the major league agreement expires now and the major leagues are going to lean on the minors to really change some things to make it easier and more economically feasible for the big leagues, aren't they? Yeah, the restructuring is is going to look a lot different. And you've got double-A teams, like you mentioned, like um, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, who are the double-A for the Mets, and the Chattanooga Lookouts, who are Cincinnati's double-A. Those are on the quote-unquote chopping block that the New York Times published uh, in you know late last year. So uh, it's going to look different. And, for example, the Brooklyn Cyclones, who have a gorgeous park, um, you know, they're the short season affiliate of the Mets right now with the restructuring. You're looking at uh, four full season levels. So triple A, double A, high A, low A. And Brooklyn's going to jump from short season A ball to likely being the Mets double A affiliate. So things are going to look really different. And um, it, it looks like Major League Baseball is going to take a much firmer grasp on what happens in a minor league day to day within the organization. Uh, and all of that because right now it's actually a rule that major league organizations can't supply uh, financial help to their to their minor league affiliates. It's its own independent thing, so that might change. But uh, the coronavirus just kind of sidelined all those talks until you know after uh, after this sixty game season's over. Because when they were trying to get that sixty game season, there were obviously some bigger fish to fry. 
Let me try to wrap my head around the way that this is supposed to go and um, help the listeners in trying to wrap their heads around it, too. You're listening to Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Back to the big leagues with Russ Dorsey of the Sun-Times. We talk Cubs next hour. Also, Chris Kampka. But they're going to go down from 160 to 120 teams, and that's just going to come in the form of, of like a memo, right? Like a term sheet. MLB is just going to say, all right, here are the 120 teams we'll be using. And the other 40 are just kind of screwed. And that decision is still pending. Like you've, so you've got minor league teams vying to not be on that list, I would assume, with big league teams. But it's completely up to MLB. Do I have that right? Yeah, sounds pretty crappy, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah, um, that is kind of how it's going. Uh I know you mentioned at the top of the show that it's kind of turning into a wild west because it's, it's turned into a quasi bidding war uh, to get on that list and get off the chopping block. And, and you've seen uh, congressional intervention. You've seen state representatives and state senators, right. Expressing their uh, dismay and having, you know, the Batavia muck dogs or Auburn double days cut from, from the state of New York. And uh there are going to be a lot of teams that didn't get to say their proper goodbye because of this cancellation. But, th- but there's th- this wild West that's happening. It, I, I assume what we have is minor league teams reaching out to MLB teams and saying, what do you want us to be? What, what would you like us to be? And trying to tweak it and trying to kiss some butt and use some, use whatever political pull they have to try and get onto that safe list. Right. Right. They're trying to gain an ally at the major league level. So if the Tampa Bay Rays really love the Montgomery Biscuits, and I'm just using the Biscuits as an example, I don't think they're on the chopping block. But, um, you know, if if the Biscuits reach out to the Rays and say, you like us, right? And the Rays say yes, then likely the, the Biscuits are safe. It's crazy. J.J. Cooper wrote about this in Baseball America um, a, a bit, and it's, it's that the MLB, um, the commissioner's office, is, is, is not really policing what is supposed to be a lack of conversations of these kind between minor league teams and big league teams. They're kind of turning a, a blind eye. Is, is what a, a source had suddenly said. So MLB is allowing this to take place, meaning that it, it gets very unseemly and very gross very fast. And, and a lot of teams are going to just be dropped from affiliated baseball. They're trying to allow the big league club to buy in as, a, as an investor. And that's, I mean, some of this, Jack, as we're talking about it, feels sort of sensible in a way that I think a lot of people kind of always thought the minor leagues ran. You know better. Um, I've known better. But I think a lot of people thought that, well, the big league club is in charge and, and they supply a certain amount of money and they get to dictate how they do business. But that just hasn't been the case as much as we believed. Right. You just you just assume that Charlotte was getting White Sox money, right? And, yep. and Iowa is getting Cubs money. But that's not really the case. They get Cubs players, they get White Sox players, but uh, they don't get, you know, Cubs funding. Uh, and uh, that's been the case with minor league baseball. So that could be a very welcome change that, that you get that support when you need it, especially in times like this, if major league organizations have money that they can you know, give to their single-A affiliate, then, then that's great. But there's, there's pros and cons to every situation you could possibly think of. Yeah, I mean, because some, some of these offers apparently 
are are not even for for cost. Like just all right, we'll just give you part of our team. And you can help run part of our team, and that way you can keep us alive and keep us afloat. So that that's insane. So that level of conversation is going on. Like, hey, you want a piece of us? Then we can you can really be a part of it. it it's so weird to think about because every time a big league club goes into a rebuild, usually part of it is taking control of their minor league affiliates in sort of a new way and installing what once was the Cardinals way or the Twins way or became the Cubs way from every level on down. Let's make sure we teach all the same way. Let's make sure we have cameras and technology that's all the same way at all the affiliates. And in doing that, you kind of always assumed that there was a level of cooperation, which there really doesn't necessarily have to be. It's sort of been, it's sort of been the Wild West for a while now, minor league baseball. It has, and you can, you can think of minor league baseball this way in its simplest form. The individual minor league organization controls everything off the field. On the field, it's all the major league organizations. So the Cubs supply the coach of the short season, Eugene Emeralds and the players of the Eugene Emeralds um, in, in Oregon. And, you know, the minor league organization has no say into who the, into who the manager is, uh, into who the uh, defensive coach, into who the strength trainer is, because those are all Cubs employees. But uh, the team president, the director of marketing, the, the CFO of the organization, those are all uh, not Cubs employees. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy, and you know, I, I I think that that independent leagues are going to become suddenly more viable than they have been as a place for players to go. As these minor leagues go away, things are going to get restructured. This is what's happening in modern society in a lot of ways. But what's also going to happen as a side effect is a lot of towns and maybe even fairly sizable cities are going to lose their minor league baseball, which has been a beautiful grassroots way to spread the game, grow the game, enjoy the game for decades and decades and decades. There's a lot of towns that are just going to lose their teams and that can be absolutely brutal. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully there are a lot of towns that are are safe from that and they have a bright future ahead of them with their minor league organization. I know Fort Wayne is, is really looking forward to 2021, but you know, you've got places like Chattanooga, Tennessee and Jackson, Mississippi that, uh, are looking at losing their teams that have been around for a really long time. I mean, think about Auburn, New York, which you probably couldn't point to Auburn, New York on a map, but uh, the Double Days are, are the closest affiliated team to Cooperstown. So uh, it's it's that type of endearing quality in a team that that you will just be missing. Uh, as we segue back to the major leagues, um, Jack, uh, share with people some context from the minor league perspective, from the prospect perspective of some of these guys that we're seeing um, in big league camp right now. Um, Andrew Vaughn there for the White Sox, uh, Spencer Torkelson in Tigers camp right now as they ramp towards opening day. Th- these are these are guys who very unlikely in a different kind of year would still be in Major League Camp this close to opening day. Why are they there now, and why are some of them part of the 60-man rosters that, that clubs have had to declare? Right. So Andrew Vaughn, for, for the White Sox sake, would probably be in Winston-Salem or Birmingham, which is the high A or the double A affiliate of the White Sox. Um, really, the reason that uh, these guys are being invited uh, is, You've got a couple of reasons. Um, take Joey Bart, who was the number two overall pick in 2018. 
uh, of the Giants. Uh, now that Buster Posey has opted out, Joey Bart might actually be there because he could play some baseball in 2020 and he could be the Giants catcher. But you've got a guy like Andrew Vaughn who likely will not play for the Chicago White Sox this year. He's not on the 40-man, but he's invited to camp because you want your top prospects, you want your guys who's, who your chips are in on to not spend a year outside of your watch. Spencer Torkelson, I mean, the Detroit Tigers just spent near $8.5 million on him. If you've got $8.5 million on a guy, you don't want him training and just telling you what he's doing. You want Tigers' eyes on him at all times. So that's why a lot of these guys, Emerson Hancock in Seattle, who is a top 10 pick, uh, he's in Seattle's camp. Reed Detmers, who's a Springfield, Illinois native, he's in Anaheim's camp. And these are all draft guys that likely will not see Major League Baseball in 2020. But uh, the Angels, Mariners, Tigers, they want to see these guys play uh, for, the, for the year that they can. And, and, and what I've heard is that there'll be some sort of instructional league component in the fall, some kind of expansion of the Arizona Fall League, so all those prospects can uh, have some activity and the club can get eyes on them again at that point. Have you heard that as well? That's the rumored understanding right now, uh, that there will be some form of instructs uh, at these complexes, but of course nothing's in stone, and really the only thing that has come in stone in the last month or two is that baseball – uh, we'll play at the highest level this year, but it's almost like you're pushing everything back and saying, hey, we'll deal with that in October. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a fascinating time, a complicated time, and, and thanks, as always, for helping me understand the lower levels. And I say as always because Jack is my nephew. Good job, nephew. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you very much, Matt. <laughs> um, Jack McMullen knows his stuff, always has, on prospects and uh, on, uh, on the minor leagues. And he, he's got a podcast where... They're talking to um, to all sorts of minor league prospects of note, um, big time prospects, as they are. Uh, he he's working on it, and, and they're talking to these guys in in some different ways that that you have not heard. It's been it's been pretty cool. I will share that in a matter of moments as the the podcast. Uh, Jackson Rutledge was on it this past week. It's been some very good stuff. I'll share that right now on my Twitter feed, at Matt Spiegel 670. Uh, Russ Dorsey is the new sometimes beat writer for the Chicago Cubs. Let's talk to him about the Cubs and more next on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 